Welcome to the James Kamenda Show, presented by Matt Card, Matt Card Anderson and Associates PLLC. I, of course, am your host, James Kamenda. Thank you for tuning in, whether you're watching or listening or however you're doing this, or maybe even both, on YouTube or pod, or audio via Apple or via Spotify or wherever else uh, podcasts are heard. Thank you very much. This is the Q&A special. So we're tuned into Q&A special, and thank you to everyone who submitted the question. If you didn't submit a question, no problem. Sit back, enjoy the show. If you did submit a question, I believe I have every single question on here. Some of them weren't questions. Some of them were statements like, hey, talk about this, hey, talk about this. Or it was just like a category, like Corona or something like that. So we have kind of turned them into questions. Instead of just saying like coronavirus, We, you know, it's a question about the coronavirus. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff on here. Some stuff is very random. Some stuff is not random. Some stuff is asked obviously by people who know me personally. Some people are, are, you can tell like some are just from people who have listened to the podcast or some are who grew up with me or whatever. So very fun group of questions here all over the shop. I've done my best to not think about my answers to these questions because I wanted to almost treat this like a call-in show where you know, viewers or listeners or whatever called in, asked questions, and I kind of handled them on the fly. So I've organized them. I got them all into this list, but I really tried hard to not think about an answer or whatever for these questions. We are also in, <laughs> so we're also in a new studio, kind of. We're in the old studio, but the old studio is like empty, and this will be the podcast studio. And I have a new camera. New camera, new microphone. Absolutely no telling if either one of them will work. No telling. They, they, they could easily not work right here. And we could be saddled up with, with, a, with a, a redo tomorrow morning. So we have a new actual like DSLR camera with a new Rode shotgun microphone. So everything's different. I'm, I'm Up until this point... The entire time I've ever done videos or whatever from the past three years probably have all been via a webcam, which is kind of funny. But it's all been a Logitech C920 webcam. So this is the first proper time we're going back to the old handheld camera. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, We're not going to do anything but the Q&A. We'll probably do another episode, kind of a normal podcast episode this week hitting on some top like news topics and you know topical topics because I didn't want to mix and match these questions and the other stuff. So let's get right into these questions, man. Let's get right into these questions. Okay. First question. They're in no order. They're not categorized as far as like they're not you're not going to hear five questions about coronavirus. You'll hear a question, blah blah blah, another question, blah blah, blah and then possibly we'll go back to coronavirus. You can only choose one. Italian, Mexican, or Chinese. Now, I'm, I'm guessing they mean the food. And I hope they mean the food. This is a very different question if they don't mean the food. I'll say the food, though. This is tough because I like a very small, like, niche part of each of those things very, very much. So, Mexican food, I really don't care that much about Mexican food as far as, like, tacos and quesadillas and enchiladas. I'm much more of a... I'm all in on chips and salsa. I'm all in on chips and queso. 
I could eat chips and queso every day. I could eat nachos every day. As far as a quesadilla, as far as a taco, not that interested. Italian food, I love pasta. I, I never go and get pasta. That, I never go to Olive Garden or I never get pasta at a restaurant. My, my uh, family just, I've always had pasta growing up, whether it's lasagna or spaghetti, stuff like that. So if we're talking just overall food, Italian's really strong because I don't know, like I would hate to lose spaghetti. I would hate to lose just all pasta. I don't eat that much pasta anymore. I've kind of, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've kind of weaned myself off of like pasta and, and um, for a while there I wasn't even really eating carbs. So, you know, uh, then we got Chinese. Love Chinese food, but I really love Japanese food. So I'm gonna act, I'm gonna say Chinese is just all Asian food. If I can only have one, honestly, I would go, I would go Asian food. I love Japanese food. And I love Vietnamese food. I eat a ton of Vietnamese food. Pho, uh, as far as Japanese food, I eat sushi all the time. I, I love, you know, hibachi. I love noodle dishes and soups and, and all that. So I think if I had to have one, it would be Asian food, Japanese food specifically, and then Italian, and then Mexican. Chips, like, if you told me I could lose chips and or I could lose Mexican food. But I could have chips and salsa. I, I'm all for it. I don't need Mexican food that bad, but I need cheese dip and I need salsa. So final answer: Asian food. If it's not Asian, if it's, if it's just Chinese, then it's probably Italian, Chinese, Mexican. Tough though. Thoughts on governments such as South Korea using technology to track your location to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Will that lead to an overreach of power, or is it something that can be used for good? Man, this is tough. So this is probably in reference to the dystopian-looking video of that, that robot dog thing, walking through the park, kind of monitoring people. And I've heard about this in a lot of places, whether it's like helicopters or drones or what have you, monitoring people and their movement. And as someone who has read a lot of 1984, this is... Like science fiction at its best, right? This is terrifying. The idea, and we we already know the government spies on us. We already know, maybe not the government, but people are watching. And they may not necessarily be watching everybody, but your phones are being watched, your voice is being heard. I mean, you can see it and realize it just from things like when you, when you Google something or text something or talk about something, and you immediately see an ad for it. That freaks me out. That freaks me out. What really freaks me out is, so I work an hour away from where I live. I'll go to work. On the work computer, we'll Google like, I'm making something up, uh, tents, like, like for like camping, camping tents. I'll get home. I'll get on my home computer, and an ad will be up for a camping tent. Now, I know it's all just like my Google account. It's all just the same Google account connected. But the fact that within the same day, you can be hours apart on multiple different machines that are connected to your person, and then you receive real-time things happening in your life, it's very scary. So I'm not surprised at all that governments are, are tracking locations with COVID. I think that it is dangerous. I think that it is scary. But it is something that 
it sounds probably a little crazier than it really is because it's already happening. You know, it's like it, it sounds insane, but they're, they're doing it. They are absolutely doing it. And whether you think that you're, you know, not being tracked or people aren't watching you, again, I'm not saying that you're being tracked daily, like by the witness protection, but people know what's going on. If they want to know, the information is there. And what Snowden leaked, you know, WikiLeaks, and it, there's, it's just, I think that it's much more prevalent than people want to believe it is. But I don't like it. I mean, I don't like, I wouldn't want some dog, robot dog thing walking around a park with a camera on it, tracking my movements and letting people know where I am. I mean, at that point, you know, you're, you're just so close to that dystopian and almost apocalyptic world. That's, that's, just, that's just a little too much. And, and that, that's when it's time to go off the grid. So I think it's, I don't think I would call it an overreach of power per se. It's not like they're using it in like a tyrannical way. It's just the capabilities are there, especially with drones. And I'm not surprised that they're using them. In the public, that I, I would not like that. In the private, in stadiums or arenas or restaurants or whatever, it's good to be able to track people. So I'm a little column A, a little bit of column B here. On the whole, I do not want to live in a dystopian Orwellian society where everyone's being videoed, everyone's being tracked, the government sees all. Don't like that, don't want that. Next question, how do you think the world will change post-COVID? We've talked about this a lot on the show. We've covered COVID, I think, on every episode. And not really COVID as far as the disease. I'm not a doctor. Kind of a, kind of a boring topic, the actual disease, because it's being covered so much. It's not something we need to do. That's not, what, that's not what this show is. But we have talked about the societal impact of COVID. And this changes a lot for me, because... Every day is evolving. You know, every day is so different. Life is so different. When you think about COVID, when you think about the time that it hit us, we were the most unisolated people in human history. We were, you could be in a million different places at once. You could be, you know, FaceTiming somebody across the world. You could be watching a, a Twitch stream of someone doing something. You could be going to a yoga studio. You could be watching a master class on cooking, you could be on Nordic track, or it's not Nordic, a Peloton. You could be on a Peloton, watching a screen, in a bike class, with people all around the world, in your living room. You know, like, we were so tuned in. And then we were forced, basically, to tune out. We were forced, basically, to isolate. We were forced to, to really go within. I mean, some people, a lot of people, were forced to not even leave their house. They were forced to stay within their home. And if you live alone, that can be a very jarring experience to only live in silence. Only to live in your own mind, basically. And not to have human contact, to, to actually have a conversation. That part, and, and um, you know, I, so I live alone. I live in, I, I live, I'm in my house, there's no one else here. And I remember one of the first things that I told everybody that was so difficult about living alone or whatever, or living you know, on your own, I guess. Like once you first buy a house, people are like, oh, how do you like it? What's it feel like to have your own house? And I used to say the hardest thing to, the hardest thing to get used to was the idea of, or just the feeling of like total silence. 
Because if you're not talking, or if the TV's not on, or if the or movie's not on, and you're not playing music, it's just silent. And silence is something that is very rare nowadays. Silence both literally, but also silence of the mind. People are just so active, so busy, so much dopamine, you know, checking every social media app, getting all these notifications. And COVID kind of forced people to detach from all that. Because that flood just wasn't happening. There wasn't stuff, there wasn't enough happening outside to warrant the same connection. Sports are a good example. Some people would listen to a sports podcast every single day. Just making this up. Well, now there's no sports. Like sports have been gone for almost two months, three months. So is it worth it to still be so tuned in to sports? Probably not right now. You could probably ease off of being super tuned into sports, I would think. So little bitty things like that changed a lot. Where even for me, I used to listen to a podcast every single day. Not just one podcast, like a bunch of podcasts. I haven't listened to a podcast, I don't think, the whole time I've been quarantined. Because I've been busy doing my own content or just doing stuff around the house. And the podcast just haven't, hasn't fit this new world, this new existence. And people are finding that new existence. They're finding that new reality. We've talked about it a million times on the show that the new reality could be that you don't really care about the gym, for example. You don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to go to restaurants. They're not, you're used to now cooking for yourself. You're used to now you know, doing, you're getting your exercise a different way. You're, you know, you're, you're more withdrawn, not, not just withdrawn as far as like, you know, internally, but withdrawn as your circle is smaller now because it was forced to be smaller. And maybe that jived with you. Maybe that worked with your schedule. Maybe that worked with how you feel. So a lot of people, though, won't change with COVID. A lot of people will, they never were in quarantine. They never did change. Both on, on their own accord, some people I know who kept going out, kept going to people's houses, kept partying, kept, you know, whatever, being in huge groups, they never had a quarantine. Their life won't change. And then some people were essential workers. And those essential workers, they, not by their own choice, but their schedule never changed, their work never changed, their life really never changed. So for those people, the world post-COVID will not be any different. For some, it'll be very, very, very different. I think to each their own. I think people, I think people will learn a lot about themselves during the quarantine, just what they need in life, what they need moving forward, what makes them happy, what they miss, what they don't miss, stuff like that. And out, coming out of COVID, I think people will gravitate more towards kind of that new mixed mash of, okay, well, everything is open. I can do, I can do whatever, but this is kind of how I want to live my life now. And we've talked about that on the podcast before, the idea that people will kind of it's almost like a reset. Like COVID and quarantine was almost a reset on the hustle and bustle of everyday life and, and how how things operated and the norm and the societal norms and the trends. And so I think now you'll see people, I mean, even just like self, being self-sufficient, just, I mean, I don't have a garden. I would love to have a garden, but I know a ton of people who started gardens and they're going to continue their garden even once everything opens up. That's a very small example of how did COVID change for you? Oh, I started this garden and now I live, I basically eat out of my garden. 
you know, so stuff like that will change. People will, I, 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 you'll see little bitty things like that before you see huge big things. And by the way, these questions, I have got these questions, I have like ordered these questions, but I haven't spent any time trying to answer them. So I wanted this to be as much of a improvisational, like almost like a call-in show where people are calling into the show and I'm answering on the spot. That's kind of how I wanted this versus me like having a prepared answer for each question. So I'm doing, I'm doing, I've done my best to not review any of these questions like answer-wise. Tell the story of Supernova, of the Supernova character. So this is this is obviously a question from someone who knows me personally. But so in college, we lived in uh, me and a bunch of my friends all lived in an apartment complex, and we were connected. Our rooms they weren't like literally connected, but we, me and two other, there was three people to a to an apartment. Me and two people lived on this apartment. And then directly underneath us was another three of our friends. Directly next to us was another three of our friends. And then in the building across from us was three more of our friends. So we had like nine people within a very small area. And especially on that one building where it's us three underneath us and to the side of us. So we were always around each other. And we all left our doors unlocked. It was like an episode of Seinfeld or something where people would just walk into other people's rooms and walk into other people's apartments. And so we're all like 21, 22, 23. We're all wrestling fans. We all watch wrestling or at least grew up with wrestling. And we started this, it was called the Reserve Wrestling Federation. The Reserve was the apartment complex. And we would come home drunk from the bar and we'd all have our characters and we'd cut promos on each other and depending on the uh, drink special of the night we would kind of like fake wrestle we had a championship belt we had rivalries it was all kind of fun and this was right around the time where youtube was taking off and the idea of filming stuff and putting it on youtube and uploading random clips was pretty in vogue this youtube you gotta remember was at the beginning stages youtube was just clips. It was just like viral videos. It was just watch this firework go off. It, it wasn't like an episodic thing. It was just kind of a funny, it was almost like Vine or TikTok or something. And then it turned into this episodic platform where that stuff really doesn't work anymore. But so I started to record a lot of the stuff and I started to film just a lot of this wrestling stuff and just like it's promos and you know, we'd film a promo and then You'd send the promo to the neighbor and they would retaliate with a promo. And like all of a sudden now we're filming all this stuff where you don't have to be, you don't have to come up from the bar and do it. You can kind of set it up, make it look cool, make it sound cool, and then go from there. So my character was this character called Supernova and he was like the ultimate warrior. He was a, he was a play on the ultimate warrior and we'll... Let's show a let's show a clip actually. So this is going to be a clip from the original Supernova video, the first ever video. Let's go ahead and roll the clip. It's Supernova here for the thousands and thousands chanting my name. Supernova. Nova. 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 Nova.
So that was just a little baby clip. That wasn't like obviously the whole thing, but it's um man, it's so, it's so funny. Some of the stuff you notice, you know, like I remember when that video first happened, I thought I was jacked. I thought I was ripped. And looking back on it, it's like, damn, man, you're looking pretty rough. Like it, I'm, I was not in the best shape, and that's what happens in college. Just college, uh, especially there when I went to college, you had we had a meal plan. It was basically a buffet, and we'd eat there like three times a day. So you're eating buffets like three times a day your whole existence in uh, you know at college. It's crazy. Like when you when people say they gain 30, 40, 50 pounds in college, I believe it. You know, we were working out every single day, but we were still eating, I mean, like absolute animals. But uh, yeah, but those were, those were fun. Um, and that, you know, in that video, obviously, I'm, I'm rocking face paint. Um, I'm, I got a cut up sweatshirt. I got elbow pads. I mean, you know, we, we, went, we went the distance and we had some really fun characters. Uh, we had the Crippler, you know, I think we talked about in the video. Um, Butch Blaze, Joey Abs. We had some we had some really fun stuff. It was it was really funny because we'd come home from like from the bar, like I said, and we'd get all dressed up. You know, some people had mustaches they'd paint on. I had the face paint. Some people were like draw tattoos on. One time we were doing a party. We were doing a party at our apartment, and the apart the party ended up getting busted. Like the cops ended up coming, and we were all in our like face painting stuff at this point. And we were all just kind of messing around. And the cops showed up and like they're knocking on the door. We open the door. I'm in that outfit. I'm in a cut up sweatshirt. I'm in a face paint. I'm in my underwear. The guy next to me is in his underwear and he's he has like a drawn on mustache. And the, the cops are just looking at us like, what the f is going on? Like, what is this? What did I just walk into? What the hell? I got, a, I got, I had a call. That people were doing fireball in here. This party was needed to get shut down. And I opened the door, and it's some damn Tom Cruise eyes wide shut stuff. I mean, that's you know that's college for you. That's college for you. But uh, at, at post that, you know, there was like three or four videos with the supernova character, and it was kind of a thing. And uh, you know, I ended up uh, I've done a lot of stuff off of that kind of character. But that is the story of Supernova, and it was a uh, college man. College is a very fun time. All right, so between me you and the camera, the just got done trying to edit the podcast. Uh, the camera cut off for some reason. Like I said earlier, this is a new camera. We're trying some stuff out. Not really sure how it all works. Not really all sure the you know the funny stuff that it can do or, or whatever. I don't know if it was like a power saving mode, but it cut off. So we're redoing this part of the Q&A. I also deleted a lot of the questions. So I'm trying to remember some of them that we didn't do. Uh, hopefully we can get to them. And if I didn't answer them when we go back and edit this, then we'll fix it from there. But good God, I hope we can do this. This is like the third time we've done this. and. Uh, yeah, about an hour and a half of content just absolutely washed down the drain there. So it's kind of funny because at the end of the podcast that y'all will never see because it wasn't recorded, I was like, man, I feel like I've been talking for like two hours. My throat is killing me. Like, this is tough, man. I don't even have to wrap it up. Go to edit it, boom, LMAO. See ya, bro. So we're restarting. So hopefully, 
Hopefully, we can figure out the questions. Before we continue, let me tell you about our presenting sponsor, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Card, Matt Card Anderson and Associates PLLC. Guys, at this point, you got to know. At this point, you got to know your life is worth more than one call, that's all. Your life is worth more than one click, that's it. Your family's future deserves better service than one click, that's it. Say it with me. One click. That's it. That's it? That's it? It is your future. It is your family's livelihood. It is your well-being. It is everything you have to look forward to. Are you telling me that you're going to let it be decided by one click? Na 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 na. Let it be decided by Macard Macard Anderson and Associates PLLC the number ladies and gentlemen. 601-450-1715 or MacHardLaw.com, M-C-H-A-R-D-L-A-W.com. We've all been there. We've all needed legal advice. We've all had an automobile wreck. We've all had an 18-wheeler just clip through the backside of our car and take out two or three members of our family. And what do we need? We need good service. We need good settlements. And who can provide that? We all know. It's the good folk at MacHard, MacHard, Anderson & Associates. If they are smart enough to be a presenting sponsor on this show, they certainly are ahead of the game, way ahead of the curve in the services they can present to you. I had a family member who had termite problems, over $100,000 worth of termite damage. Can you deal with $100,000 worth of termite damage? Can you deal with if the insurance company tells you to shove it? No, you can't. But I can tell you who can deal with it, and it's not one click away. It is a phone call away with a normal person who's going to care, give the time, give the effort to your individual case. If someone's going to give you one call, 15 minutes, they don't care about you whatsoever. They just want your dollar. The fellows and ladies at MacCard, MacCard, Anderson & Associates treat you like the individual person you are. They care about what you're doing, and they will listen and understand your individual situation to get you the settlement you deserve these people are the real deal. They're the best in the business. That's why they're the only firm to receive a seven-figure settlement in the state of Mississippi. All these other people are playing catch-up. I ain't talking Heinz, if you know what I'm saying. Or is it Hunts? doesn't matter. Irrelevant. We're not talking catch-up. We're talking insurance denials. We're talking about fantastic legal service. We're talking about... Mac Card, Mac Card, Anderson and Associates PLLC. Again, the number is 601-450-1715 or their website, MacHardLaw.com, M-C-A-J-R-D-L-A-W.com. Tell them you heard about their services at the James Scometta Show in order to get front row treatment, in order to get red velvet rope, red carpet, champagne buckets, VIP treatment from yours truly. So let's get back to the show. Oh my god, I cannot believe the damn camera didn't record, but we trudge on. So the last question that we had recorded, I was in the middle of this question. Recommend some books. So I read every day I try to. I think reading is something that I think more people should do, honestly. I think that if there was one thing I could recommend that people do, it's read. Um, not even just like reading fiction books or reading novels, but just read anything. People just don't read anymore. 
and reading quiets the mind, it calms everything down, it slows everything down. People are, you know, how many times, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but how many times have you been watching a TV show while also on your laptop, while also on your phone? No lie, before I have been watching Netflix while watching YouTube videos on my laptop while having my phone out. You're talking about like five different things happening at one time. Reading stops all that. Reading forces you to focus. It kind of it kind of slows time down. So I think people would be much happier if they read. And it makes you so much smarter. You know, you digest things better. You understand things better. It broadens your topics. It broadens your horizons. So I, I cannot obviously recommend reading enough. But the books that I like. So Stephen King, one of my favorite authors. I uh, love Stephen King's books. My favorite book ever as far as like an individual book, not like a part of a series, uh, would be 112263 from Stephen King. It's not a very scary book. Uh, it's, it's not one of his scarier ones. It's about uh, the JFK assassination, and it's about time travel. Very good book. Very good book. I would highly recommend it. It's probably the main book I recommend to people. Past that, I like Jonathan Franzen a lot. Jonathan Franzen is an American novelist who he wrote The Corrections, uh, Freedom, and recently, Purity. I would not recommend Purity. It wasn't that good. Freedom, I think, is a book everyone should read. But warning, Freedom is not for the faint of heart. Freedom is not a fun book. It's not a happy book. It is very it is a gut punch of a book. It is a, a reflection of the, the American household. And it is really... It, it's almost like a coming-of-age tale for whoever's reading it. They, I, don't, I felt like I grew up when I read the book. I felt like... The world kind of changed around me. Uh, so well written. He's such a good writer. The characters are perfect. Everything is... It's not a fantastical book that you're used to. It's not some... You're not chasing some monster. You're not trying to find some treasure. You're not trying to solve a murder. You know, this is just... This is just human beings and their emotions. So, I'd recommend 112263. I'd recommend Freedom. Uh, the Corrections, if you want to read that instead of Freedom from Franzen. Just as good. Um... As far as like my favorite books, it'd be remiss of me not to mention Harry Potter because to me that's the greatest achievement in literature is that series. I read that series when I was working at Valet in a casino. Uh, I was eh, probably 21 or somewhere there. And I hadn't read or seen any of the movies from 5, 6, or 7. I had read 1, 2, and 3 live like during when they were when they were actually came out when I was in elementary school and then I never touched them again for whatever reason and so they were unbelievable I mean when I like it's unreal how good they are because the books start off shorter and they start off with uh, less complex sentences and less complex ideas and as the books get better or they get like the story ramps up and as you get deeper into the series the books age with the reader, where the books get longer, they get darker, they get kind of more complex, the sentences get smarter. All of a sudden, the people in the books aren't going to like the fun little game, the Quidditch games. They're not, they aren't going to these things. They're not in class anymore. They're not, it's not innocence. The innocence is gone, and it's now a much different book. And it's just unreal. If you've never read Harry Potter, go read those books. The last one I had to, I couldn't even finish at work. I used to read, I used to work graveyard when I worked at ballet. And I worked by myself, so um, I was alone a lot at night. And 
uh, I couldn't even read it at work because I was about to start crying. The last book, the scene whenever Harry's invisible and he's going through the school for the, like the last time and he sees Hermione and Ron and he's on the way to meet Voldemort. That scene tore me apart. Uh, I had to wait till I went home. After I read Harry Potter, I actually had post, post-Potter depression, which is something that happens a lot, where you read the book, but then you miss that world. And it actually kind of like, you feel kind of empty almost. And uh, just, you know, not like actual depression, but... And I used to go back and reread the last chapter like every day to wean myself off of it. So, unbelievable journey for sure. As far as nonfiction, I just read a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. That was a really fun book because it's nonfiction and, you know, it's about uh, success and people who, like, are outliers. The greats, the geniuses, the savants, and how they actually all kind of have other stuff in common. And a very interesting read. I like books. I like books about you know humanity and kind of what we deal with and stuff like that. If throughout this podcast my voice sounds like it's going out, it's because we are now like three, four hours straight of talking to do this. So I apologize there. Uh, next question: How do you feel about fanless sports? Uh, fanless sports, you know, it's different. It's obviously different. Sports need fans. Sports. Fans, fans make sports better, and fans make sports feel bigger. When you're watching a game and it's the Saints versus whoever in the dome, and you see the fans and you hear the crowd and you hear the the roar or the groans or whatever, it makes the game feel more important. You lose those fans, it makes everything so stripped down. Recently, the UFC just had an event where the UFC. Um, didn't have any fans, and the, what I noticed was the sounds. You could hear the cornermen talking. You could hear the fighters moving, breathing. The punches and the kicks sounded so different than when the fans were in there. And I have a feeling with football, for example, it'll be very similar. To hear the coaches, to hear the players, to hear the ball, to hear the tackles, the crunch, you know, very, very different, very stripped down. Uh, what I don't get is the idea that what I don't understand is the idea that people are like, well, I'm not watching if there aren't fans. Well, how how do you how do you get to that? How do you arrive to that thought? I can understand if you're like, eh, it's not as good, but to just be like, I'm not watching unless there's fans there. To me, that's a little extreme. But I think we need sports. I think the I think the nation is far ready for sports. The Last Dance is really the closest thing we've had to sports. And people are obsessed with that. So the NFL draft was a huge success. People just need that relief, need that something else. So hopefully we get our sports back pretty damn soon. But, uh, I mean, you know, fanless, it is what it is. If that's how we have to do it, it's how we have to do it. And is it, is it ideal? No, it's not ideal. But it is something that we, we need. You know, like I said, we, we need sports, bottom line. So let's get them back. Thoughts on gyms opening this week? So, through coronavirus, through this whole thing, we, you know, we've said stay home. We've said be careful. We've said all that stuff. We're now like two months in, and things probably do need to start opening up. And I'm okay with like the beach, you know, people going to the beach or people going whatever and, and you know, getting takeout and stuff like that. And, 
as we continue to move forward, I'm okay with easing regulations as long as we still have some regulations. The gyms are a great example. When coronavirus first happened, 100% the gym should not have been opened. No doubt about that. The gym should not have been opened. But now, with regulation, do I think the gym should be open? I don't see a problem with the gyms being open right now. At least with regulation, at least with minimum capacity, at least with you know some guidelines in place to kind of stop the spread or to protect people. I think that's where we're at now. I think that... Uh, Things evolve. Things change. This is a good example of where things should evolve and things should change. And if gyms are one of those, so be it. You know, allowing the gyms to open up, allowing people to go in there. Now, I won't be in there. You know, don't get don't get that mistaken. I'm I'm not there yet. You know, I'm not even I'm not even to restaurants yet. Some people are going into restaurants and eating. I'm not there yet. I just started getting takeout. You know, so I won't be in the gyms. I won't be involved in that. It's too intimate for me. People sweating all over the stuff, me getting on the stuff, the cleaning it, and me getting on that. And then, you know, like I'm touching stuff, they're touching, I was breathing really hard. It's just a very intense and intimate situation for this specific pandemic. Uh, so I don't blame people for doing it, but I don't think I will do it. Uh, but I'm okay with the gyms open. I'm okay with restaurants opening to minimum capacity. You know, the restaurant's regulations having, whatever, 20% capacity and people seated at every other table. Okay, if we're putting in guidelines this deep into the pandemic to where we're trying to protect people, so be it. I'm okay with that. But I will not be in the gym. Uh, talk about when you weren't a Saints fan. That's a lot of sports questions in a row here. So, yeah, true. I was not a Saints fan for a little bit there. <clears throat> I was... Uh, I grew up a Saints fan. I grew up a big Saints fan. And I grew up where I used to go watch every single Saints game at my grandpa's house, and we'd watch the game. This was during the Aaron Brooks era, the Jim Haslett era. Um, this was this was during when the Saints were bad. They sucked. They were, they were the laughing stock. They really were. And my dad was not a huge sports fan as far as an individual team or a season. or and He didn't really care about that. He was more into betting and stuff like that to where, you know, he would he would give me the paper during before Sunday and he would tell me, hey, the sports section, he would say, circle who you think you're gonna win. I knew odds very young because of this kind of stuff. Uh, so we would bet or we wouldn't I wouldn't bet. I was whatever, super young. But I would say, Oh, I like the Bengals plus eight. You know, so I'm watching the Bengals game and I'm rooting for them to cover the spread. You know, so that's how I grew up with sports. And I think a lot of people are fans of teams because their dad or their mom or older brother are fans of that team. I didn't really have that. I was a fan of a bunch of different teams at, a, at the same time. You know, I would root for the Bears on Monday night and turn around and root against them on Sunday. It didn't matter to me. So the only fanhood I had really was the Saints whenever I was a child. Then Katrina happened. When Katrina happened, everyone was pissed off. Everything was different. I was 15 at the time. I got 11 feet of water in my house. I was displaced. I was living in a trailer uh, or someone else's couch. I had a suitcase with just white t-shirts in it and some boxers. I didn't have anything. And I was pissed, you know. Around that same time, things got really good. And once school started back up and life started back up, 
all you heard about was the Saints. All you heard about was Houdet. And all you heard about was Breeze and, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden I'm surrounded by a bunch of people in the school who weren't Saints fans, didn't know who Aaron Brooks was, didn't know who Jim Haslett was, didn't suffer through those years. And all of a sudden now they're the biggest Saints fan in the world. And we would, I, you know, there were Saints watch parties and there was all this stuff. And, and I just bucked that trend and said, okay, well, screw this, basically. And I said, okay, well, I'm not interested in that. And so just to be different, just kind of rooted, started rooting against them. In turn, I started rooting against the Saints. And all through their Super Bowl run, all that stuff, rooting pretty heavily against them. And what changed was a friend of mine's parents have season tickets to the Saints. And they quit going. So me and him started going to almost every home game. And being in the building, being a little older, being outside of you know the, the high school days and, and all that stuff, and just being an adult, I suppose, being in there and me starting to sports bet. So I would bet on the Saints whenever I was in the Dome. So now I'm rooting for the Saints because of my own monies. I'm rooting for them because I'm in the stadium. I'm with the fans. I'm with the team. I'm in the city. All that put together made me really start to appreciate the Saints again. And it really kind of brought me back to my fanhood. Uh, I think it's okay. It's, it's actually, I always think it's better if people you know, get back to a fanhood or if they make a decision like that on their own. It makes you, it makes you just commit. It's almost like a confirmation. You know, like I was baptized, then I kind of had a period where I was like, eh, screw the Saints, and then I was confirmed you know, later on with rejoining that fanhood. So, yeah, I, mean, I would consider myself a diehard fan now. I go to a lot of home games. I've been to all their playoff losses, except the one in Minnesota. You know, so I've, I've, I've suffered through it. I feel like I've earned my way back to being a fan. Um, and, you know, even, even, even on a certain extent, you know, if I have a son or something, I want to instill in him that fanhood versus being kind of just whatever to teams. You know, I want him to 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 feel what it's like to be a fan from Jump Street versus having to go through it the way I did. But yeah, very true. Was not a Saints fan uh, for for a, for a point there. What's your update on some Amazon purchases like your stand-up paddleboard? So yeah, if you listen to the podcast or watch videos, then you understand that if I get into a bottle of champagne, I am not afraid to click check out now on some wild-ass Amazon purchases. Uh, the stand-up paddleboard was the biggest one, both in size and price. But yeah, I, mean, I, I get a little deep into the damn bottle, and next thing I know... I'm I'm checking out left and right. You know, I'm not afraid to I'm not afraid to buy some pretty random stuff. I'll you know I'll get a damn I'll, I'll buy a hamster or something if I have too much champagne. But I haven't made too many purchases on the champ. I bought a fly fishing outfit, not an outfit being a rod and reel, not not a uh, not a shirt pants combo. But I bought a rod and reel fly fishing kit. I've never fly fished. It was right before the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I have to go with a friend, and he needs to teach me how to fly fish. With the pandemic regulations, that kind of got in our way. But hopefully we'll be able to do that soon, because I really do want to learn. Uh, past that, I haven't bought too much because my account got frozen. Uh, they thought that it was illegal activity, mostly because I was buying random-ass stuff like fly fishing poles and stand-up paddle boards. 
Bad news is that when you try and call Amazon to get this fixed, due to COVID, they're not taking calls, so you can't get this fixed. So I actually can't use my Amazon account. So that's probably better for me and my bank account, but don't get it twisted. I've been adding a bunch of uh, stuff up here in the old list. So I've looked at some wild stuff. I've looked at like Yerba Mate, which is like a tea, like a jar, like a tea goblet looking thing. I've looked at Yerba Mate, raised garden beds, all kind of stuff, it's like coffee makers. I mean, I've been all over the shop. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not afraid to, if you see me drinking some champagne, keep me away from Amazon. That is for sure. My impulse decision making is not strong on the sauce. Next, how do you like your eggs? So this is a random question, but eggs, so I'm going to answer this in a really weird way. I used to love, I still do love cooking, and I love cooking shows. I love the whole culinary arts idea. When I first started to watch a ton of Food Network, and right now I watch a ton of uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting with like Martha Stewart, Jamie Oliver, Steve Racklin, Jock Pepin. When I first started watching Food Network and learning how to cook on my own, I remember seeing a video with Wolfgang Puck, where Wolfgang Puck said when he brings in a new chef, the dish he makes them cook for Wolfgang is an omelet. Not lobster, not duck l'orange, nothing like that. He makes them cook an omelet. Because he says like an omelet is like the most technically testing thing you can cook. So I started to cook eggs a lot and really trying to master eggs. And so through years and years and years of practice, I've kind of grown to have a, kind of like a, like, a, like a loving relationship, very interesting relationship with eggs. And so I started to make a French-style omelet from a video from Jacques Pepin, who I think is where Wolfgang learned how to make his omelet. They're very similar. So I take it pretty seriously, uh, dealing with eggs and omelets and whatever. I don't just, you know, so it's, it, I, I treat culinary arts like art, really. And, uh, you know, I, I have favorite chefs, and I'm wowed by different... My, my Instagram is like 90% food, just, just looking at dishes and stuff like that. But I like my eggs. I eat eggs almost every day for breakfast. And recently, I've been scrambling them a lot. Uh, just quicker, easier, whatever. So I've been doing like a scramble mushroom spinach type deal. But I'm not afraid of some good old-fashioned sunny side up. I'm not afraid of the French-style omelet. I do not mess with the American omelet, the Frankenstein-looking omelet, the half moon with cheese and ham and whatever the hell else you can find. Do not like that. I like a classical French omelet. A French omelet looks like a roll. It's like a Swiss roll. It has a little bit more liquidy on inside. So that's how I like my eggs. Very important question. Next up, who is making the Super Bowl and who wins? Uh, who's making it? I would say Kansas City is going to make it and win it. AFC Championship game is tough because if you go down the AFC, Houston... I think Houston is probably the worst roster in football if you take away Deshaun Watson. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Houston will make the AFC Championship game. Then you go to New England. Well, New England is in total turmoil with Tom Brady and all of them leaving. And are they tanking for Trevor Lawrence? So New England's out of there. The rest of that division sucks. You have the AFC North, which, which is Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Baltimore is good, but can Lamar Jackson reach that same level of success with a full year of tape on them and you know all of that. So 
It's hard for me to see them being as successful. Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger's getting older, you never know. Cincinnati, rookie quarterback. Cleveland, Baker Mayfield sucks. Um, then we go into the AFC South, which is actually what team I like for this question, is the Colts. I love the Colts roster. I love the Colts coaching staff. Phillip Rivers is the man. I think the Colts will be in the AFC Championship game with the Chiefs. So I'm saying Colts, Chiefs, AFC Championship game, Chiefs win that, go to the Super Bowl. NFC side, same kind of deal where you look at Green Bay, total turmoil with Rodgers and Jordan Love and you know what's Rodgers going to do. I would not want to be betting on Green Bay as a franchise right now. Frisco, I don't think Garoppolo is that good. Um, I think they're going to suffer a little bit of that like second-year hangover kind of thing. So the three teams that I think are going to be vying for the NFC are Minnesota, New Orleans, and Seattle. I would say Seattle and New Orleans are your NFC Championship game because the quarterbacks. I just don't trust Kirk Cousins in prime time. I like Dallas a lot. I think Dallas is really good. But, man, Dallas is Dallas's. Like, Dallas just seems to be really good, but they can't get over the hump. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to go to the Super Bowl when they haven't won a playoff game in what seems to be decades. So I'll say New Orleans plays Seattle. New Orleans beats Seattle. Go to the Super Bowls. Chiefs versus the Saints. Chiefs win that one. I think the Chiefs are just on a whole other level. I think uh, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Great roster. Great coach. Great franchise. So I think the Chiefs uh, take that. Chiefs Saints. Chiefs win. The NFC is much better than the AFC. Why did you quit working the newspaper? So, I, as you know, if you've listened to this, you, know, you would know I was a newspaper reporter for a while. And I covered a crime beat. I covered a breaking news beat. Which means I mostly covered um, car accidents, fires, murder cases, stuff like that. And, you know, interviewed Robin Roberts a few times. Interviewed Nancy Pelosi a few times. Those, those were less on the murder and fire and car accident thing. But to be a reporter, you have to almost like check your emotional side of things. You have to check, you know, how you approach stories. And you have to kind of separate yourself. You can't you can't be too emotionally invested in stuff. And there was a couple of stories. There was one that really impacted me. And it was... These two kids, one was like probably 16, it was a boy, one was a girl, and she was probably 12 or 13, probably 13, I think, and they were on their way to school, and the boy was driving, they got in a car accident, and they both died, and I was working it, and I, so I reported it, no big deal, and you know, I reported as far as this happened, then later on in the day, my boss came to me and was like, hey, we want you to call the house, and... You know, I have a sister who's around the same age as far as three years younger than me. We used to drive to school. I used to drive. And so the whole story had kind of impacted me anyways. You know, the whole story had already kind of, kind of hit me, hit me hard. You know, it was just so sad. And to, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you why it's sad. And I just couldn't fathom calling the house, cold calling the house and having a parent pick up. And me knowing that they just lost their kids and me expecting them to just answer my questions for a story. 
And so it was just so abhorrent to me that I was just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I can't let myself do that. I would rather get fired. You know, like at some point you have to have your own moral compass, I guess. <clears throat> so my boss was like, well, if you don't do it, someone else will. I'm like, I don't give a damn. If you do it, I ain't doing it. And I didn't do it, but someone did. And that was really the last moment right before I quit where I was like, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm just not made out of the same cloth as these people. There was a few other stories, actually. Another story, kind of the same deal. A kid is probably 14 years old, something like that. He stabbed his neighbor with a samurai sword and was arrested. <clears throat> and so I was sent to the house, to this kid's house, knocking on the damn door. And I was like, this is not going to be good. I was telling people I was working with, like, this is a bad idea. Bad idea. And these people weren't, like, living in the best area, weren't living in the best neighborhood. And so I was going with a photographer. If I wasn't going with a photographer, I would have just lied. And I just wouldn't have gone. I would be like, oh, man, they didn't want to talk, whatever. But we had to go because of the photographer. So we get there. It's like 30 people out in the front yard. Cars are everywhere. I'm like, man, this is not going to be pretty for me. So we park across the street. I'm walking across the street. We're in like a park, like a marked car, like it says our, our newspaper's name on the side of the car. And so I'm walking across the street, and I'm like, the guy meets me halfway. Some random guy. I don't know who he was. And he meets me, and he's like, or I'm like, hey, um, sorry about everything. I'm, and before I can even say a sentence, he goes, get the f*** out of here. And he's like, you got to get out of here. Get the fuck out of here right now. And I'm like, yes, yeah, you got it, dog. Yeah, no problem. You know, I know, I knew it was about to happen. And I was pissed because I told everybody, hey, this is a really bad idea. Hey, this is probably going to get me, you know, in a bad situation. Hey, don't do this. And they were just like, whatever. You know, just kind of like, hey, throw them into the wolves. So I didn't like that at all either. And then another story was we were covering this homeless, I forgot what this story was, but we were doing something with the homeless. And we were like a loaves and fishes. And I was with a separate cameraman, and this guy smelled his own farts. I mean, this guy thought he was like breaking, like Pulitzer Prize winning news. And meanwhile, I'm just trying to catch a damn paycheck. So I am in the loaves and fishes, chilling, and this guy starts talking to some homeless people. And the homeless people are like, why don't you come to our like little village or whatever? whatever they call it, out in the woods, and we'll show you where we live and all that stuff. And I'm like, absolutely not. And he says, sure, let's go. He's thinking, oh my God, I get pictures of them in their village. I'm going to get in, you know, really. He, he had that, whatever, the dream of being this huge, you know, journalist with all, what, you know, so. So we get back there, and I'm like, dude, on the way there, I'm in his car. I'm like, look, man, we, like, this isn't a game. These people don't care about a newspaper. These people don't care about you being a reporter. These people don't care about you know you having these. These are homeless people. We're back in the woods with these guys. I don't know who the hell's back there. We don't know what they have. If they have a gun and they hold us up, what the hell are you going to do about it? We're in the middle of the woods. You can't scream for help. You can't run. You know. I mean, we're at their mercy, and we have no clue how many of them are back there. On top of where they could lead us to somewhere we get lost. I was like, park wherever we can get out. So like park facing the road, park, you know, not where we can get blocked in. And if something happens, anything, 
we got to go. We can't, we cannot, we're already making a bad decision. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. So we get in there, and it was probably like eight to ten of them. And we're back in there, and we're back in this homeless area. And I'm looking around like, oh man, this is not good. There's, there's tents, there's like food, trash everywhere. There's uh, like where fire pits were. Fire, you know, like, um, it's not looking good. It's like a Blair Witch Project type scenario. I'm kind of being pretty careful. And I hear one of the homeless people ask the cameraman, Hey man, just wondering, how much, how much is a camera like that worth? And, you know, we're back in the woods, 10 people versus us two. And I'm thinking, this is about to get south. And the cameraman obviously felt it too. He was like, oh man, this is one of the cheap ones. So let me go to my car real quick and I'm going to get one of the expensive ones and I'll bring it. You can, you can see what an expensive one looks like. So we go back to the car, get in the car, get the holy hell out of there. But after those scenarios where I'm like, man, you know, I make a minimum wage. My life is legitimately in danger here. Uh, screw this. And on top of that, I also was just betting against the newspaper industry. I just didn't think that that industry had legs. I thought people were getting away from newspapers. I thought people were, you know, people were probably a little more into different kind of media at that point. And the new, like, digital media was blowing up. So blogs and YouTube and stuff like that. This is before you're live streaming. So I was right when it comes to that. I was right when it comes to that aspect of it where, you know, content moved away from terrestrial radio and newspapers and TV stations and just changed a little bit. So that was definitely the right choice for sure. And if I could do it over again, I 100% would have done the same thing. So those combined are the reason why I quit the newspaper. But the, the, moral, the moral part, the ethical part, I always struggled with as a reporter. How do you deal with negative comments slash hate? Okay, great question here. How do I deal with negative comments and hate? Uh, actually... I don't mind negative comments or hate. I don't mind it, honestly, because the way I look at it, if you are eliciting a response, no, no matter really what the response is, if you are eliciting a response, you're doing your job, whether it's good or bad. You know, whether people love you or hate you, agree with you or disagree with you, as long as they give, as long as they care, what you do not want is them to not care. You don't want them to watch your video or listen to your podcast or whatever, and they're just like. Okay, and move on to the next thing. They, they don't think about it. I'd rather someone watch it, hate me with the fire of a thousand suns, and uh, you know, comment how, how much they despise me, and then watch my next video. I think it was Rush Limbaugh. I think he said something like, "People, people that hate you." I'm totally paraphrasing this, but he was basically saying that a majority of your audience is actually people that disagree with you, and people most of the time watch what they do not agree with. A lot of the times you'll see, like if you have a uh, super conservative dad or something, he probably watches a pretty good amount of CNN and MSNBC just to see what they're doing, just to disagree. A lot of people watch Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith because they disagree with them. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. So I'm okay with the negative comments. I've gotten death threats. I've gotten people to tell, you know, saying that they hope my whole family gets cancer. They hope that I die. Hope that I get assaulted, you know, stuff like that, and that's all. That's all fine. That's all part of the part of it. But we we did a video on the Delta situation when Delta was throwing a doctor off their plane, not not literally throwing him off like a parachute. But they kicked him off the plane, 
And we made a video about how Delta was well within their rights to do that. And people were pissed. And then we made another video basically debunking all of their arguments. And got a lot of hate for that. Let's get to these comments. How bad can they really be? Fuck you and your whole family. James Scarmetta is a piece of I justify you being dragged by airlines, police bleeding in the future. LOL. You are a dumbass piece of Your podcast sucks ass, idiot. I hope you die from cancer one day. But I was, that was like some of my favorite stuff that we did because it was just provocative. It was, uh, you know, provocative and it was thought provoking and, and th that's what I'm really looking for. So it comes with the territory and it, you do have to have a thick skin when you do this kind of stuff because you do have to, for every 1,000 comments, if two are bad and 998 are good, you're going to remember those bad comments. And you have to just let it roll off your back, and it, you know you, you can't really let it affect you. I love debate. I love conversation. So I have no problem if someone has a, has a differing opinion. What I do have a problem with is when people don't get it, like they don't get the joke, or, the, or they don't get the point of the video, and you get to a situation where, like we did a video on the ESPYs the year that Caitlyn Jenner got Sportswoman slash Man of the Year, and Brett Favre was on it. And our video was talking about, it was really just kind of poking fun at the whole event, poking fun at Brett Favre, you know, just kind of all over the place. We weren't talking about the trans issue. We weren't talking about if it was right or wrong. It was not a serious video. It was not a video, it wasn't even like a podcast. It was like a cut up, edited, funny video. It was supposed to be funny. And we had, a, and that video blew up. I had like 75,000 views or something. And we had a lot of people who missed the joke, whether they came in late or whether they, you know, because that happens. You put a video on YouTube that's, that is, makes sense. Well, it might not make sense six years later. It might not make sense three years later. People may forget some stuff. You may be making jokes about stuff that's happening then, and those jokes might not work, work five years later. So people may miss the joke or miss the point. And in that video, people thought I was like, shoving uh, the trans issue down their throat and I was like you know anti Brett Favre and anti all this other stuff and pro Caitlyn Jenner that just not that the not that that like mattered but what mattered was they completely missed the joke and the whole point of the video and what sucks is you know I do a video I can't defend myself five years later I can put a I can reply with a comment but it's like well who, who cares you know the people in the comments can reply instantaneously. They can watch the video reply. I can't make a video to every reply. So a lot of the times when you do get flamed for stuff like that, it just goes away. It just, it happens, it, it takes its place, you get flamed, and then it goes away. You, you can't really defend yourself, and being defenseless in those situations does kind of suck. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I, I've never lost sleep or worried or been concerned or were upset with any kind of reaction, hate, or whatever we've got. So I, I just, I, I'd let it kind of roll off my back. Who are some people who have influenced you creatively? Uh, I, I mean, I get a lot of influence from a lot of different people. Influence, inspiration-wise, people like Kanye West, Kid Cudi, uh, Dave Portnoy with Barstool Sports, people who just are creative, they kind of go against the grain. They are obsessed with their passion. They go after. They jump all in, and then they make it a reality. 
you know, videos of Kanye when he was younger with his recording studio, he built in his house, working his ass off, getting, you know, climbing the ranks. Even if you don't agree with them, it's still impressive to see that kind of work ethic and impressive to see that kind of creative, you know, that, that outlet. Cuddy is the same way. Uh, Dave Porn at Barstool started off as a newspaper when he was 30-something years old. He was delivering newspaper. Then it turned into a photo of the newspaper as a PDF on a website. And now it's a hundred multi-million dollar, hundreds of millions of dollar work-valued company. Probably bigger than ESPN. And uh, Bill Simmons, you know, Bill Simmons is the guy who created an empire. Bill Simmons is probably the person who I would say I'm like closest to as far as inspiration or influence because what we're doing is basically the exact same thing. There's a bunch of different podcasts, a bunch of different videos, a bunch of different topics, a blog at one point. You just kind of every medium, every topic, and then go from there. So as far as content, though, Norm MacDonald is an enormous influence on a lot of the writing. When we did the Weekend Update show where we were doing like news topics, that writing style was writing for Norm's Weekend Update character. And I was just delivering it. But I like to do callbacks and like nostalgia type stuff. And I did a lot of that with Norm. Like when I say again, usually if I say again, I'll go like again, again, like that. That's a norm thing. That's like a tip of the cap to norm. So a lot of that stuff is like Easter eggs where we'll kind of tip the cap to someone who we are borrowing or kind of shining. You know, like I like to do that. I like to take what, and it can be anybody, Mitch Hedberg or whoever, and we'll take some idiosyncrasy that they have. We'll put it into like a very small part of what we're doing, just kind of like a like an Easter egg, basically. So, so a lot of people do influence, but... Um, as far as just, it's different kind of influence, I would say, though. Finally, what are what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Scariest movie I've ever seen in theaters was Paranormal Activity. I watched almost the entire movie like this, uh, through my fingers, or I was staring at the corner of the screen and watching it in like my peripherals. I was so scared during every scene of that movie. So many scary jump scares, so many spooky shots. As far as movies that, like, after the movie... Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds, and <laughs> I, just, I, I have a lazy tongue, like I mumble a lot, and it's very, it's very different, like to say Amityville Horror, which is kind of sounds like Amityville Horror, versus Amityville Horror, which is the actual movie. So I got to make sure that I'm clear in Amityville Horror, and not just some floozy walking around the streets of Amityville. But I remember that movie, I'm not going to give away the movie, but in that movie, the time, 3.15, is very important. To this time, to this day, I probably saw that movie 15 years ago. To this day, probably longer than that. To this day, I do not like being awake at 3.15. First thing I think about, if I see 3.15, first thing I think about is Amityville Horror. And uh, I'm like, man, I can't wait till 3.16, can't wait till this time ends. So I definitely think about that, and that's pretty strong staying power in a movie if you can, you know, make someone think about your plot however many years down the road. Uh, when I was a child, Chucky, play, uh, Chucky from Child's Play, hated that, very scared of that, which is kind of crazy since it's just a stupid doll. Um, the Strangers was a movie that I saw in theaters and was terrified during the, the movie, but after the movie I really, really wasn't scared. It was just a very scary movie. 
But those are those are some movies that like really scary. Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street, very scary. That concept of like getting you in your dreams. Didn't like that very much. But that is all the questions. We've had to do this in like four different settings. We had we have filmed this seriously four separate times, so it's gonna be all cut up, which is very different than how we usually do these audio things. Or all these, these audio things, these podcasts. Apparently, our new camera, DSLRs, I didn't know this, DSLRs only film 29 minutes and 59 seconds at a time. So every 29 minutes and 59 seconds, our camera turns off or quits recording. So we have to like monitor the time, restart it, monitor the time, restart it. So it's going to be all cut up. So our podcasts are probably going to go back to being filmed with our webcam. So it's like a one free-flowing thing. So, But since we already have ha have so much of this content on here, we're just going to let it fly. So hopefully this works out. Good God, I hope this works out. And uh, we're bumping up against the time, so I'm going to have to go. But thank you for the questions. I really do appreciate that. We have so many questions. Hopefully I answered all of them. This has been a it's been like a four-hour project. But and I haven't even got to the editing, so that will be another fun thing. But thank you very much. We're going to do a podcast this week, a normal podcast. This is kind of a bonus one. But thank you for the questions, guys. I really do appreciate it. The support and the community and all that stuff has been awesome to see. So hopefully this, this was fun for y'all, as, uh, as much fun as it was for me reading your questions. And uh, I will see you next time here on the James Scrimetta Show. New camera, new microphone. Absolutely no telling if either one of them will work. No telling. They, they, they could easily not work right here.